Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey there, you've wandered on to the VUC, a weekly conference produced by IP Communications and VoIP Community. We would like to thank Simwood.com. Simwood can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is from OnSip.com. You can get a URL that people can click to call you at OnSip.com slash GetOnSip. Speaking of SIP, we use the best PSTN and SIP conference bridge in the world, ZipDX.com. Our website at VUC.me is on Bluehost.com. And thanks to Voxbone for our world local rate dial-ins. All right. Thank you, Michael. And uh, with <laughs> Facebook backwards uh, text, we're going to be talking for once. I can't even read it on my own local screen. Kameyo World. We're going to be talking more about it as the days shorten, or actually the days lengthen and the days until the total number of days, which is about 95 now, I believe. Kameyo World. You can go to kameyoworld.com. We are going to be talking to Allison Smith and Daniel and maybe a few other people next week. Meanwhile, the team is uh, trying to attract people who are at some other show that I didn't catch the name of. FOSDEM. FOSDEM, yes. That's FOSDEM, free and open source demo. Okay, so dangerous demos. All right, Andy is ready to join. Um, And let me put on my camera. Where's my camera? Here we go. Here's a shock for you. Randy, you've got something around your neck. I know, and it's a kipper. Okay, but you smell nice. So, um, is there audio on Facebook is the big question. Uh, Not that I can hear, no. Uh, Well, that's unfortunate. I can hear myself back, though, so we'll probably have to kill that. Well, there's already, there's three people watching, too. Isn't that terrible? Frightening. I'm getting that back anyway. How about this? You can hear me, though. They can hear me, but not anybody else if I do this. I'm going to guess. Yeah, that's not going to work. Oh, that's that's worse, too. Okay. This is the experimental version. All right, enough of that. Yeah, give, give Andy the URL, James. All right, we'll kill... I'm sorry. Sorry. No, no, there, there, there is audio on there. It's there's not very much. Well, it was but me. There is audio. It's still, there's me. It's yeah. Only you. Yes. It's, yeah. it's nobody else. I know you. it's only me because only me because um. And I'm hearing myself back. All right, enough of this silliness. I don't know. I know it's only. I don't know why that did not uh, happen. Kill that. Don't know why that uh, didn't happen with Periscope, but I'll have to look into it at some other time. Okay, that, that's delivered to Mr. A. Yeah, he's here. What do you mean? He's a well, fan. here he is, quick, wasting no time. Clicking on the quick on the draw. Go look at Hello, you, Andy. Andy. You're, you're wasting away, <laughs> losing weight. This is what happens when you have a cold for three weeks. Yeah, I got a still though, no video. Yeah, it's the same for me. Yeah, we're getting about one frame every ten seconds from you, Andy. Then there's another frame and another one and another one. Oh, it's speeding up. Ah, here we go. Yeah, the webcam is heating up. It probably uh, has something to do with, uh, well, you're probably suffering the same problem I have, which when you have 80 windows open in your browser, um, 80 tabs open, it does slow 
down the uh, the hangout a little bit. But so, so we're just about to talk about Fosdem, weren't we? And what is going down there this weekend? And quite unusually, not one of us is there. Not even you, Tim. Why are you not? You know, there? I've never been to Fosdem. I keep meaning to go. It just hasn't happened. I keep. It's one of those things that like I keep thinking I should go. You know, but every year something crops up which means that I don't, or it turns out not to be. Often the thing I've been working on isn't open source, so I feel bad about going. Yes, you, so you should. Well, exactly. Um, but the, the whole point of going to Fosdem is that there's so many really interesting people, and people that you wouldn't expect to turn up. For, for example, Kevin Fleming, you know, late of Digium, um, is there right now. I, I'm tracking his location. He is currently in Brussels, Belgium, according to his, his status. Yeah, I, I can't help feeling that that's um, more, uh, more to do do with the quality of the food but maybe i'm maligning him kevin's no i well i've bumped into him before there matt frederickson's there as well yeah uh and it looks like there's a pretty strong asterisk contingent there surprisingly wonder if they'll let them all back in the country well i think so having said that what's this thing that's going on on down in uh, Florida this week. ITX. ITX. Next week or next week? Next week. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday with some pre conferences on Tuesday. I've got three panels, two on Wednesday, one on Friday. Okay. You know, I've never ever done an IT Expo, Andy. Should I? Well, well, can you get over next week? Well, no, I'm just a little tiny bit busy with uh, uh, dealing with one tiny little startup. Yeah, I know. So they've cut it down to one show a year and then they do the API show in the summer. Um, and, but the show next week has got more than just, you know, VoIP, obviously. It's got MSP. It's got IoT. It's got Wi-Fi. It's got it's. Scott. I did a blog post yesterday with a bunch of highlights of things that, that that's would be interesting. one of the things about TMCs is that their shows they cluster all these little events together into one sort of great big show with multiple registration requirements, which gets a little weird and confusing. Sometimes you're going this between IoT world and WebRTC world and all that. The conferences you need different registrations for, but this year they made the smart decision that one pass gets you into all of the trade show pieces. So at least that's a step in the right direction. And that has to do with profit and profit sharing and revenue sharing. Yeah. And, and that's so, one of the problems with TMC. They are most definitely a revenue generating organization, aren't they? Well, that's what happens when you're a publisher versus a, a company that stages is a user group event like Broadsoft, which brings everybody in, still charges them at their connections conference or something like Camellio World or ClueCon. It's a very single purpose focused event. And the goal there is to spur more use. In the case of MC, just like the old days of Bond or, or even Tad Summit, it is a profit making. No having said that, works, by the way, guys, these are all dot coms, commercial. Yeah. Bond and Tad Summit are slightly different in their outlook, whereas oh, yeah. uh, the, the TMC events are just commercial, commercial, commercial all the way. I think um, Signal's interesting in that it's it's trying not to be exclusively Twilio, even yeah, though it's yeah, their thing. The Twilio thing, isn't it? Yeah, but it's trying not to be. I mean, they'll, you know, they'll have general WebRTC events in the same way that, you know, some of the sort of uh, Astrocon and Clucon people will as well. They'll have kind of talks that aren't explicitly about Twilio, um, which is interesting. So I, I'm not that I've, I've never managed to get a talk accepted there. So like, you know, 
I don't know. And I'm not paying the fees. It's too, too expensive a game. Exactly. The single um, biggest event we're hearing that's happening regularly <laughs> is the AWS event called reInvent that this year attracted 36,000 people the week after Thanksgiving, starting on the Sunday in Las Vegas that Amazon put on. 36,000 mostly developers were there. That is a lot. All focused on AWS and the new services they're coming out with. It was very engaging and companies that went there walked away with real business opportunities, not just prospecting leads. I think it's an interesting phase in the, in, in like these conferences go through kind of discovery and then, as you say, kind of lead prospecting. And then there'll be a point in which conference is actually about business. And then they come out the other end and, and they turn into just things of habit. And I, I'm, for me, I see MWC has come out, has come out the fun to an extent some of the others have come out the far end and are now just actually about habit rather than um, rather than any real value but but AWS feels like it's at the point where you know there's a there's still a there's a lot of business being done there but they'll get kind of it'll get too big and and, and too dull in a year or two and there'll be no point in going or am I am I alone in thinking that conferences have a kind of curve of utility for me a, a conference has to have uh, some utility outside just what's been um, or the, the talks and the and what's been actually demonstrated or displayed in that it's it's for me it's all about interaction and the bigger a conference gets you you tend to be able to interact with others less and you end, you end up at the same conferences talking to the same people as you did last time and the time before so yes I think I, I tend to agree that uh, certainly big conferences aren't worth attending I, I don't believe so not, well, me, I, not for I, me anyway. I'm going to be contrarian there in that there are industries like I for 20 years went to the National Association of Broadcasters conference uh, in that industry if you don't go to that show you're not in that industry anymore like going there is considered sort of a, um, a measure of the health of your your company, and if you're if you're not you know showing reasonably well there, nobody's going to buy from you. Yeah, that's depressing, but probably true. Yeah, very smart. Bottom the third you have there, Andy. I don't know how you managed to do that. Is that um, new? Yeah, that's me. Business hangouts. Business hangout. Mm-hmm. Tell us about business hangouts. What's new? What's different about? A- I don't know. I just clicked on the button because I haven't used it in a while. Well, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I want one of the, Oh well, no! That was what used to be called uh, Google Apps, Andy, or no? Business hangouts is a third party who's done an overlay to. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I've got I've got one of those buttons too, and I've got to press it. Yeah. I'm trying to figure they, out how to do my lower third to put my name on. They here. used to they used to promote that heavily and do all kinds of uh, training events and stuff like that. Uh, I, it wasn't clear yeah. to me how uh, so, how well they were doing. Here's a surreal thing. I've just looked at this. So. Uh, as there's a side conference at MWC this year that has 12,000 attendees. Had had last year had 12,000 attendees, and that's a side conference. Like uh, MWC is just what's that? So this is um, uh, 4YFN. Uh, the uh, one that's in the old Expo Center at um, the, the Playa de España. Yeah. Uh, I, I stopped going MWC. a big exhibition. I stopped going MWC about three years ago when they moved. Whatever the second year was in the new building was my last MWC. And why? Did you stop going? Because it's just too big. It, you can't get anything done. And the, and in Barcelona, they jack up the prices about 300% for everything. And you can nowadays do most of what you need to do over the internet. I mean, literally, the more companies I talk to who are growing really well, their salespeople don't even travel to trade shows anymore. They literally... 
They send a couple people to do some business prospecting. They dump all the names into a, a, a database, whether it's Salesforce or Pipedrive, and everything is telephone sales. And more and more of the leads are coming in online and companies do not see the need to be there. So unless you're looking to make a major unveiling or if you're a publicly traded company or you're playing ecosystem game, there's a lot of reasons not to waste the what would cost about six or seven thousand dollars for a trip to Barcelona? Interesting view. Um, I'm going to be there, and I think well, if easier, by the way, it's easier for you guys to go from Europe. I mean, you can go well, in. Well, that's true. Yeah, it is from much. here, it's a, it's a it's a flight. So call the flight a grand. It's uh, you want to get there a couple of days ahead of time. So it's three hundred dollars a night for a decent hotel. So you're there for six nights. That's eighteen hundred. You're almost at three thousand dollars before you even step foot. Plus, they've gotten really strict on awarding passes. I know Luca's trying to find a pass to get into this year's MWC. Um, they used to be extremely generous with passes to bloggers and media. They've cut that way back because the number of people coming has gotten large. They do have capacity restrictions. Um, so that's another $1,200. You're at $4,000 just to walk in the door. And then you have your meals for the week. You're up to five. And then you have various other incentives. $6,000 before you're done to be there. Call it $1,000 a day. I don't see it worth it. Yeah, I mean, I think it used to be that... um that you could kind of, it had that thing that everybody was there. So if you wanted to set up a meeting with, you know, somebody from a telco in Australia, then actually saying, oh, well, we'll both be at MWC, we'll meet up there was like perfect. But um, I'm not sure that's true anymore because you say look, people are much happier about doing stuff over the net these days. So. Yes, I, I believe that less people are going. And then the other thing is those who come to speak will usually come in for one day and then they're off doing meetings. Right, right. Yeah, there's an awful lot of kind of stuff that happens in the, uh, this is going to sound dreadful, I have to rephrase it, um, that happens on the sidelines. I was going to say in the hotel rooms. Hey, Mike, there's something up with your audio. It keeps dropping kind of scratchy noises into the, yeah, it's into the feed. As well, at the bar. And it's, it won't be it's, BKW's back. Yeah, it, it's it's a free switch denial of service attack. Ah. Yes, talk of the devil. Here he is himself. We're in a marvellous, was it, one frame every two seconds. We were yeah. muted. Can, oh, you were getting audio from us? Yeah, well, it thought so. No, we were muted in the Hangout. So it wasn't audio from us. No, oh, right. Actually, it was bursts of audio from you guys, and your mute was toggle- toggling. And Randy is now muted. Oh, it sounds like a bug in uh, in, in Hangouts then. How exciting. Yeah, it is. But uh, for whatever reason, yeah, because they were getting the, what do you call it, when the uh, they get the attention, the video, whatever. Focus, focus. Yeah. Losing, completely losing my... Uh... Just done it again, then. Well, let's see if it's them. Oh. Now we'll know. Where's that coming from? Hey, how do you... Is there a way to turn off the audio on Firefox? Uh, uh, how do you turn off the audio? I on think, because I think that the problem that I was having before had to do with that Facebook was playing back the, you know, if I go live. Anyway, we're just screwing around here. So if anybody's watching this, they're going to have to put up with all this stuff, including all those horrible noises those guys were making. I'll go and do something less boring instead. Yeah, well, let's see. We're, oh, wait a minute. I forgot to go streaming, right? Where's the stream? Where is the stream? Start streaming. Ah, shit. What are you doing, Randy? Oh. What are you doing? I was, oh, I was already. I've got a, I've got a lower thing now. There you go. Where did that come from then? Well, you switched it on. You said you were going to. Yeah, well, it didn't work first. That's so I turned it off again. But it is it appeared to be working now. Oh, well, it obviously needs to be turned on twice, James. Firmly. 
Toggle book, toggle face, yes. All right. And Andy's turned his off now because that's because I've got mine on. Maybe well, there's only allowed one in the conference. It's like, you know. Mm. I wasn't aware I had it on. Oh, Andy, uh, no, Mr. No, Abrams. No, it is. Oh, turn it back on again. Yes. And I thought I'd turn mine off, but. It's behind you. Oh, no. it's, it's in front of you. Go away. <clears throat> anyway. So I stretched my. If we're looking for, for thing, random things to talk about, I stretched yes. my brain last night. I went to an event that was run by somebody I know who's a crypto blockchain enthusiast and um, he's very very clever and after about the third slide my maths couldn't keep up like you know we just about got through the RSA slide and I was kind of struggling on that one and then and the Diffie-Hellman and then and then we dropped into elliptic curves and at that point yeah, I could have kind of got the rough idea, but the detail was way, way beyond me. But that was, and then, then he, but what was interesting is he was talking about some some new things that are coming out. Things like, which will weirdly actually have real application in in the VoIP world. Things like um, different ways of managing keys, so that you can have um, you can have a key that's generated by three out of five of the participants. So any three people can generate a key. What's the use case for that? Um, oh well, I mean that one, that one's kind of corporate signing um but you can also do stuff like you can have you can have this this property where for voting where you have you can give somebody a key that they can sign something with where you can't tell that it's them that signed it but you can tell that their key was signed by somebody was issued oh, by somebody. so we're talking about voting systems for dangerous demos right right so so I mean, this is what's so interesting about like so we went in this kind of mega like brain exploding mass that really did my head in and then suddenly on the last slide, there were like these practical applications of this stuff. I mean, not, you know, he doesn't do really practical applications. That's not his thing. But it didn't take a, much to go from the line that he put there to think, well, you know, this is fantastically, um, this is actually practical stuff that you could kind of, you could see yourself using. And um, so the, the, what was the, the other thing was, the thing I didn't quite get my head around why it would be useful, but it felt like it would be, which is zero knowledge proofs, which is that you can prove that you're in possession of a key without giving away anything about the key whatsoever so you don't even leak the attributes of the key you can just prove you have it which is kind of interesting does that um, require a new neutral third party authenticator or arbiter no or no, can you do um, that totally it's, ma- it's purely a set of weird mathematical properties that that mean that i mean i'm trying to remember what it is that that, that this one i l- didn't get my head fully round but I strongly advise, well, I should do it myself at some point, is to look up zero knowledge proofs because it looks really, really interesting. And there was this other thing about, so there was a practical application of this, uh, of one of these key Baroque key crypto things where... um, Baroque? Well, it it is pretty Baroque, but it was about how the Danes, I think, have only, they have a, 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 um, a single vendor, a single buyer, you know, the national buyer of sugar beet. It sounds pretty dull, but it turns out that in order to protect the farmers they have a bidding system which means that the um which is constructed so that the farmers can put in a bid that the sugar beet buyer can't see until they've said what level they'll accept it at so it, it doesn't like the mathematics is such that they can say well we re- reverse auction uh, well, yes yeah. yes but but the reverse auction requires an in a, a, an entity a trusted entity in the middle who looks through to see what's valid but this shields the so the idea is that it prevents the the thing they're trying to do is prevent the, the bulk buyer from looking to see oh gosh 
there's a lot of sugar beet out there this year. Um, I'll just push the prices down because there's there's going to be lots of competition for it. So uh, by because they have everybody has to send their sugar beet to them. They have complete like they used to have complete information about the market, so they could manipulate it totally. Whereas now the the the, the cryptography gives them incomplete information about the market, which means that they have to act on they're not exactly market forces, but they have to act on, based without being having privileged knowledge of the market of the next year's market which i think is really i mean so how how did we get onto blockchain based applications for the D- danish sugar beet market I well mean, that uh, one is- i i was fascinated by this and the point the, the, the interesting <laughs> i could just imagine you sitting there wait wait oh, wait, yes. wait wait but there is actually a point to it which is that you could imagine that you might uh use some of these crypto things for handing out keys for for a thing like this so if you look at the way that that, that this conference works we all have to um technically choose to trust the the hangouts bridge all of our video goes to the Hangouts bridge and it's decrypted there, remixed, resent out because the cryptography of this is a one to one key system. You know, it's end to end encrypted and there's no mechanism for, there's no mechanism for me to encrypt my video such that all of you can decode it, but nobody else can. We don't have that mechanism in, in, in modern real time yet, but. The point that he was raising last night is that there are encryption technologies and key management technologies that are coming out that would would let you do that. So we'd be able to run um, it so that Hangouts didn't see this video, didn't need to see this video in order to. Well, actually, Hangouts probably would. But uh, but Jitsi, for example, could do the forwarding without us having to trust Jitsi with the content. We just only have to trust it with the forwarding. And I think that that sort of stuff is actually really, really interesting. Um, and applicable to what we're doing, maybe not immediately, but in 10 years' time. So anyway, you heard it first here. No, or maybe not. I don't know if anybody heard it. No, probably um, not. Chris Matthews has put his head above the parapet, so I'll just wing him uh, a quick link. See what he's oh, oh, Chris has got a great – Chris just tweeted a fantastic story. How much well, money do you think you make for not doing Snapchat stuff, for getting booted out of Snapchat early on? What? So the, the third oh, yeah, founder third of Snapchat. Founder. Yeah, the th- third founder. He got, an got $156 eight million dollars for not for not going through it with it so looking at the photo now which one is he in the photo basically they had a disagreement they bought him out and 158 million against the three billion dollar valuation is um what one half a percent of the company's value or no um what uh, is that was that ten percent that ten percent five percent five percent of the company's value which is a founder means he got all his stock yeah um, but i mean uh nice I mean, I, I suppose he's probably spent more time with lawyers than he wanted to in the last year or two. But, well, even, but if even if he spent ten million dollars uh, with lawyers, he certainly won. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, that's 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 uh, I can 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 um, see that as a as a rich prosperity if one could ever pull it off. Well, he's the one who came up with some of their key ideas, which <clears throat> which are which is why they had to obviously compensate him because you, when you when your founder stock agreements, you agree to contribute the ideas that you come up with during your term of employment or as an advisor, etc. So to not compensate him in some in some equitable manner would have been, you know, it, it would have turned into a lawsuit that he would have won. Yeah, right. Because they wouldn't have been there. Like the, the quid pro quo is that the company gets the ideas. Right. And he's already agreed to do that. And the company in turn has agreed to give him a set of options for the period of time in which he's there. But his contention is obviously, look, without these ideas, you wouldn't have a business. Yeah. 
Yeah, no. So that was a that's that was a that was Chris's most recent well the most recent tweet I've seen from Chris um, recently today. All those stories are in today's newsletter that I put out called the King okay. of Tana, which everybody can subscribe to by going to my blog and finding a link somewhere on the bottom of today's newsletter. Which of course we, we all do, don't we? Ooh. So I hope you do. So what, what? How do you see the the, the future moving, Andy? I mean, you're moving out of voice and into, you know, vehicles, or or do you think uh, real time communication is still the fun place to be? It's a place. To, it's one of the places to be. I think AI, augmented reality, um, are are actually, you know, when you talk about blockchain, I think you're going to see a lot of what we all play with and understand early on becoming commonplace. VoIP is commonplace. You know, as I tell companies who say, well, we'd like to get ourselves better known, I say, well, stop worrying about PR because there is nobody to write about VoIP. Think about it. When I started working with James and James at Truephone in 2005, we had probably 30 to 40 people who we could go to at any given time and say, hi, Truephone's doing this. And I guarantee you five would write the next day. Well, there aren't really five people writing every single day on voice over IP or collaboration at all with any degree of high level of audience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the past, it was, you know, 10,000 hits a day on the blog at the heyday were, were commonplace. Now a thousand is probably more, and most of it's library, archival, audience reading, people looking for something that was written in the past and, oh, this is what you read, vote today. Okay. I'll click on it. The, the, so there's a, 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 there's a lot less people covering it because there's, it's become, you know, pretty much, you know, part of every call. There's, you know, I said this years ago, most calls go over VoIP and you don't even know it. Today, even more calls are going over VoIP. The best thing that I've seen in, in telecom right now is if you're on the same network, uh, whether it's Verizon or T-Mobile or AT&T here in the US, the calls go HD and they really do sound better. Uh, the flip side of it is there's no one's doing interconnect on HD. So if I call somebody on, uh, on AT&T from a Verizon phone or I call somebody from T-Mobile to AT&T, it drops back to um, standard delivery. And, and even, even a, those of us who have been pitching them at HD interconnect can't we can't get any interest from the carrier side because Correct. to them it was sort of it was something they could write a press release about and move on and they don't actually care about delivering it in reality or or or, or pitching right. anybody on its use and and the problem gets even more acerbated as people do find me follow me where you have no idea who set a codex, who's using on the origination or termination side. So a call that goes out from Google Voice and in through Google Voice may go in and out six different times because Google doesn't carry the water all the way on their network until the very last minute. It literally dumps into the PSTN, goes over a carrier network, or goes over a carrier network, dumps into the PSTN, comes back into Google, gets converted back to whatever Google Voice is using in the way of codex. Uh, that's one example. Skype has become, you know, almost joke to you to make calls on these days, uh, setup time, quality, you may not even terminate. You don't know and there's no there's no one to even say, hey, this call had a problem with. Um, but I think, you know, the, the markets move from voice to video to actually, I think, more collaboration and even into messaging. And if you think about the millennials and how they communicate, most of it's by chat or using some kind of messaging platform, whether it's Slack or HipChat or anything like that. And then they do a video overlay to do a quick call with somebody or they do a group call and the services drop in. But you have to wonder, is there money being made in those services? Yeah, and, and you never, ever, ever initiate a live audio or video session without checking that the other per- person is 
okay to take it first. So this concept of just phoning people, it really doesn't happen these days, does it? I, I rarely, I rarely take a regular phone call unless I recognize the name and number coming in. Um, 800 numbers don't even bother answering. Calls from numbers that I don't see, that I don't have in my address book, I look at a voicemail. Um, though I do have to answer the call sometimes if we've got a live client activity going on. But for the most part, you know, thankfully, Dialpad and others have all done deep dives into address book databases. And then all these stupid telescammers and fishers, I just immediately edit and put block, do not accept the call ever again. I remember the yeah. first time I realized that, that this was this was going to happen was, was a, a conversation I had with Dave Troy, surprisingly. Um, Dave is consistently ahead of the world, I find, which is, yes, yes. is worrying. But anyway, so Dave was, we were talking about, um, we talking about my startup at the time, and Dave was kind of sounding cynical about it. And um, and I, I said, why? And he said, well, I had this conversation with my daughter the other night. She was trying to find out what her homework assignment was. And she was, I guess she must have been 11 or so at the time. And, uh, and Dave said, well, like, and then she was saying, oh, but my friends aren't on Facebook and I can't get hold of them and da, da, da. And Dave said, have you just tried phoning them and she said looked at him and she said dad that would be a bit desperate and uh and it's like you know you so basically she was saying you only use direct unsolicited phone calls in an emergency and there's no other situation where it's socially acceptable if you're an 11 year old in you know in baltimore so i i thought it was fascinating and that was maybe where five six years ago and and at that point i started thinking well hey you know maybe this is uh maybe this is the way it's going to end up well that's like snapchat and or snap as they call it and they make their big thing is um foma fear of missing out so yeah. fomo FOMO. And th that's why the kids are constantly looking at Snapchat every 10, 15 minutes or faster, because those things can disappear within minutes or 10 minutes or within an, a day, depending how it's sent. Um, there are some ways to save it. But for the most part, this fear of missing out is creating this very um, voraciously entitled, what I refer to as a pop type. Pop-Tart, Minute Rice, Microwave, FedEx generation of I, from our era of I want it now, I need it right away, to I need it instantly. And, and, and the weird thing the, is, I see that in in Slack as well. I see that same exactly that same behavior in Slack. That people people won't scroll back in Slack if you weren't there when the conversation was had, you missed out on the decision. Well, that's the same thing in Wire. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> in generally messengers, if you if you weren't there at the time, then you missed out. Which is fascinating because it's so it's not just like not just the Snapchat generation. It's it's got out into, you know, what are supposedly business apps. Um, God knows how you do time zones with that environment, that that kind of thinking. I, I struggle with that. Like, I'm there's this almost, all the time now. There's this almost um, disregard for time zones. Yeah. Yeah. And we also see this graying of the boundary between work time and off duty time, which is dangerous. Well, there's, a, there's, this, there's this thing that. I, I think that it depends on literally, you know, age and a senior manager in his 50s who's used to working a, a ship from. Oh, lost you there, Mr. Abramson. Lost him in full swing. Yeah. Hello, gentlemen. Yeah. Hello. This is Jay. Hello, Jay. Hey, Jay. How's how's the weather in Arizona? Tell us it's sunny and, and warm. It's beautiful, Tim. <clears throat> it's yeah, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> That I'm getting ready to go for a hike. So what is I, uh, 2017, Jay? So I just drove in this morning, actually, from San Francisco. I attended uh, Construct 2017, which was uh, 400 invitation only 
developers of blockchain decentralized technologies and distributed ledger technologies that um, was held on Monday and Tuesday. And it was it was the first event of its kind, quite fascinating. And I would say front and center in the whole conversation was identity. Everybody seemed to be focusing on identity. So anyway, um, the blockchain and decentralized web is really, really heating up. There was an enormous spectrum of participants everywhere, everything from the cryptocurrency folk to the banking folk, the FDIC, Deloitte, um, Accenture. It was it was amazing. So coming back to you on, on the authentication, PJ, what direction is that going in? How do they think that they're going to be running authentication for blockchain? I, I would say there's a number of approaches, you know, things like OAuth. Off and using third-party verification, but there's there's a bunch of different experimentations in terms of having people attest to who you are, mm. sort of back to sort of a web of trust, as I understand web of trust. Okay. Did you see anybody doing a, a hybrid where you take blockchain, you bolt it onto uh, a SIM card, which, for example... Uh, Jim, you may well snigger. I do, I do. Um, it always comes back to the sim with you, James. Well, well, no, it doesn't always, but uh, but. Uh. It's the one thing, apart from your bank card, I suppose, uh, that you carry around in your pocket at all times, which has high-grade crypto in it um, and as a, as a fixed point. Oh, and you also have the comms as well. Um, Actually, James, there was a, a fellow that I met from Los Angeles who has a company that's working on identity using SIM cards. What, so, do you know what the, what the name of the company was? Uh, I'll have it for you in a moment. Um, but anyway, I'll, I'll put it on the uh, IRC I'm not that familiar with the company. uh, There's a particular challenge to be met there. Um, Other things um, that have got to be sorted out are authentication um, for things, new new, um, things like uh, device-to-device sessions. So a good example of that is uh, car-to-car using the new uh, ultra- low latency uh, reliable super reliable communications for intercar and car to road sign car to uh, traffic light sort of communication well um, last week i think i posted in the irc that there's a, a iot blockchain consortium that's formed and i think it includes cisco and some other folks but there's a there's a lot of interest in the blockchain arena for tying devices together in this yes. district well, a, big, a, big, yeah, a big part of that is is distributed management where you allow lots of people to have access to uh, certain parts of your IoT device. So possibly to harvest information or something like that. Um, right. Um, so, uh, but that's very tricky to do. I mean, the, the, the scenario that keeps on coming up is the Airbnb scenario where you have an apartment which you let for the weekend. And when you let your apartment, you want to give management rights to of all the objects in your apartment, like the door, the lights, the robotic vacuum cleaner, to the to the guest who's in your apartment. You do know that that's exactly what Pipe does, don't you? No, I don't, because you've never actually uh, explained fully what Pipe does. Oh, well, maybe we should have a session on that. Going, oh, no, it's secret. I can't tell anyone. Uh, you're probably right. We should do a session on it at some point. Anyway, that, but, but so Pipe, in some 
some spaces, the Airbnb one's a nice one. Some uh, pipe addresses that. It doesn't do it generically for like things that haven't met. So if there's no, like your car to car thing. Yeah. Um, the car to car thing is, is a tricky thing because you've, you've got to be sure that the thing that's telling you to slam on your brakes is actually a car and not, uh, not a 14 year old kid just having a laugh. Yeah. I think that's, there's an interesting set of problems. Ah, so again, this, 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 um, Jay, I wanted to thing I was going to ask you and this is, it is related, James. Um, did you come across this concept that I'm starting? I heard about last night, which was that which was semi um, multi semi semi anonymousness. I'm yes, anonymity. Uh, so, so anonymity. So that the 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 the, um, the example that was given was if I'm doing some work for James, but I, and and I want to get paid by James, but I don't want it to be obvious in the blockchain that James is paying me for the moment because James doesn't want every want to know that they're using WebRTC in their new product or whatever, then how do you exchange money over the public blockchain in a way that that isn't traceable and the conversation was fascinating saying well what you can do is you can carry out an, uh, an, an operation on my address which is means that it's functionally the same in terms of receiving the the money but it, it's a um it's almost like it's a um like a harmonic of my address so it's the same note but it's like an octave up so you run it through the generator another time and and provided that james knows that that's happened and he can accept that that transaction and, and carry it out uh, without my address being revealed in the blockchain. What's revealed is like a harmonic of my address, but that's not derivable backwards into my address. So it was fascinating. Right. So it's kind of semi-anonymous um, transaction in that the two ends, it's kind of like an end-to-end anonymous, like the two ends agree who each other are, but nobody else can deduce it from the public blockchain. Anyway, um, right. It's, it really, sounds more like a one-time yeah. cipher than anything else. Yeah, really useful for the dark net and all the dodgy yeah. services that you might want to. Well, one-time well, cipher. And or one stuff under right NDA. Well, I'm just trying to think of uh, what of a, a legal-ish um, use case for that. Well, well there's I mean, the, the big thing is digital cash. And there's something called Zcash that's been launched. And do you the Zcash in Z Wallet. <laughs> well, that's a hard thing for me to do. <laughs> of course, it's we would call it Z. You think about all the times you want to share something once with somebody. Make sure. I mean, think of it. Snapchat is almost doing that, Tim. You know, where they you can send a message to somebody. They have 10 minutes to look at it. And when it's gone, it's gone. And it's never retrievable again. And it's never copyable. That's true. Except that there's an indelible record in the blockchain that James has paid somebody. It's just not clear who it is. So it's not. But it's, but it's, but it's always visible back to James, and it's always visible back to the person who got paid, but nobody no, else. No, it's not. But, um, so, but James, so the point is that you're still using. It still appears in the public ledger. Right? So the difference between doing it entirely in the with conventional crypto, you're right. The, the one-time keypad type thing, like. That's purely private, and there's no there's no um, uh, reputation thing, and 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 the public ledger validation of the transaction. Like it's not revocable because it's in the public ledger. 
but well, it, some it, of the public ledger in a way that it obscures my identity. I mean, that, that's yeah. Does that make it, sense? It, it's it's not necessarily traceable on that one time event, but and I'm not a cryptographer by any means, but it's my understanding that what those one time transactions are susceptible to correlation attacks. Okay. So people can start seeing traces of these one time transactions and start putting them together and figure out that hey, this is actually who's behind these one time transactions. Oh, so you I mean think like by, by timing correlations and things like that? Yeah, timing and, you know, um, I, I'm not... Again, I'm not sure, but the idea is that if you see some sort of pattern, you can, on these one-time transactions, you can figure out from the pattern who the parties are behind it. And the the zero-knowledge proofs are uh, are designed to be more like a sharing of some sort of secret that only the the desired parties sort of know this secret. And that's the way I understand it. It's, there's some rather uh, complicated math behind it. But the other area that's, you know, associated with these zero knowledge proofs is something called Zeke and some of these efforts to create anonymous transactions, anonymous connections, communications, etc. But the, certainly the, the digital cash that approaches an anonymity is a big area of investigation. But it, it's there's a lot of black magic behind it, in my view, that, you know, it's it's hard, at least for me to really trust what's going on there. You're kind of trusting the mathematics and the, the logic. And, and, and the guy, the guy, I mean, I don't know if you heard the beginning of this, Jay, but we I was saying that we started off down this route because I went to a thing last night which was given by a guy who's running a, a um, a crypto business in in London, and uh, mm-hmm. and and you know we sat through a lot of maths, um, and, and he was wearing a t-shirt which indeed said "In the math we trust." Um, right. So you know that's uh, that that does seem to be the, the the logic. But I mean he was he was agreeing that the numbers of people who actually understand this math is is small. Although he said that some in some cases the validation, the proofs where where there are some I mean some of the zero knowledge stuff is actually mathematically provable and his his contention is that the proofs are actually easier to work through and validate than actually coming up with the scheme in the first place or coming up with the proof that it's valid but verifying the proof is actually like you know um like anyone with a math degree can do that which i'm not sure i believe but well it's kind of an area that i'm just sort of watching at a distance and i think it's very very young and i think you know as you were talking about earlier tim i i was kind of coming in and out of the conversation but i think the real excitement is the broad uses uh, use cases for blockchain uh, or distributed ledger technologies, decentralized web. And that's really what I think people are most excited about. So for, for me, I, what I what I thought was most interesting was the fact that they were non-blockchain applications for some of these things that are being very much focused on the blockchain. But some of the kind of concepts were, were applicable in things like voting without you needing to go to the full distributed blockchain. You could still actually get something useful out of it um, without building that construct. So, so like the thing in Denmark is, is actually still a centralized authority um but not in the cryptographic sense it's like so i thought that was that was interesting that there were applications for this kind of what he called modern crypto that aren't blockchain um although all the money's going into blockchain and and, and blockchain related stuff at the moment so you know. 
Well, they're trying to save money and they're trying to add trust to realms that have been difficult to, um, you know, validate the trust in particularly in supply chain. Like, for instance, with diamonds, apparently they're applying the blockchain to the supply chain for diamonds and they're adding a new level of accountability that's uncovering uh, a lot of savings in terms of fraud and identifying the exact diamonds that are flowing through the train the the blockchain and the and the supply chain and they're uh, so so they're using it in that respect and they're starting to apply the blockchain to other supply chain applications like air, airplane parts to make sure that you're getting, you know, an authentic part that hasn't been modified or whatever, if that makes sense. Um, but it, to kind of make it a layman's um, uh, sort of comparison, it's sort of like when we used to send a package uh, via FedEx or the mail or whatever, and we drop it off, and then we would hope it would arrive a day or two later. And then all of a sudden, well, and then FedEx, I think, was the first to allow us to go online and we could see exactly where the package package was at and where who was part of that process. And it's kind of subtle, but it added a whole level of accountability and sort of assurance and trust. So I kind of think of the blockchain as a similar but actually more powerful version of that innovation. Does that make sense? Sorry, I muted myself in the middle of interesting stuff happening here. And it's one of those, it's kind of like like early void, trying to work out why why would you bother, what parts of it are relevant, what's interesting, what isn't. Um, and where it, uh, you know, where it will impinge on real people. Well, let me um, let me throw something out that might be a little more relevant, not necessarily blockchain related, but kind of blockchain related that I was having a conversation with with folks at the, the event uh, Construct 2017, because there are a lot of people from the banks there. Um so I started asking them, hey, have you ever considered adding like communications capabilities to your banking app? So, you know, what would it look like if all of a sudden there was a new division of Chase Bank that was actually Chase Communications? And then conversely, I've been kind of posing the question to some of my telecom folk is, you know, what would it look like if there was telecom financial without naming a particular brand? And because this it seems like they're the banks and the telecoms are starting to encroach upon each other's turf, or at least they could certainly do that. And part of what enables that in these peer to peer payment mechanisms is this new construct of cryptocurrency, blockchain peer-to-peer networking. Well, that's certainly you true. Some of you may remember that, um, sorry, James, that the telcos here in the U.S. tried to start something called ISIS, then they had to change the name, and that was going to be the... Um, that was going to be the metamediary, almost a PayPal-like banking solution that the telcos were behind, and that went down in flames. The, the biggest challenge I think the telcos have is they don't understand much more than telco. You know, they're, they're really good. You know, we keep going back to the rise of the stupid pipe or the rise of the dumb pipe, as some would call it. But no matter what, they, they keep wanting to be more than they are. Let's look 
at Verizon would be 90. They wanted to be a television network. They wanted to carry a lot of content. And it was another failure. Why? They're not Hollywood. They're not television. They're not network. They're used to delivering this bit of information to this endpoint and having that endpoint say, I'm allowed to be on <coughs> on this particular session. But that's it. They're, they're, they don't think like programmers. When I say programmers, content programmers, they don't understand high quality production. They do understand delivery. So instead of saying ABC, CBS, NBC, help us build something, they try and build something in competition. It goes down in flames. Um, I think the same thing would happen if they tried to enter into anything more than collecting payments. Their the telcos are not banks. Banks understand. Um, yeah, well, I'll take you to task. They understand there. risk. I'll they understand you. risk. Yeah, I'll take you to task there. Um, whilst um, the banking payment thing may have failed in North America, it's really taken off in in the African and in uh, and Asian <laughs> subcontinent. And and the big opportunity here is not to try and sell banking services on with mo- mobile to those people who've already got banking services, but instead sell micropayment type services to those right. people who have not got bank banks at the moment and never could af- afford them. Uh, James, over here, M-Pesto does that. And there's a lot of, but again, the banks have a hard time getting into um, the whole idea of, of, of being more than simply a transaction service. Um, for example, Venmo, more and more people over here now are using Venmo to pay and split dinner bills. Then we used to use PayPal or just hand somebody money or to put a credit card. Now I throw my credit card down. Everybody gives me $35 and within an hour, I've got everybody's money. And I immediately transfer that to my bank and put it on my credit card. It's you get the credit card points, yeah. And I get the points, yeah. The, the, the points are even, that's a whole, I had a discussion with a reporter about the points game earlier this week. <clears throat> but the, I think it's a cultural thing. The big telcos in North America, at least in North America, don't understand it. You're right. In the emerging markets where there, where there really aren't banks down the street, where a person has to drive an hour to get to a bank, uh, and where brand new uh, 4G LTE is surpassing what was never wireline, absolutely, you're going to see new services. But telcos don't understand the ins and outs of banking. I'm talking about lending, I'm talking about securitizing, I'm, I'm talking about settlement. Those are things that are extremely foreign to them. Yes, you're right. The bank, banks yeah. could um, become telecommunications operators, but with the emphasis on the app, what happens at the application layer, not just the uh, the traffic in the pipe. Well, the banks are certainly uh, sending you know SMS messages and <clears throat> they're all introducing payment you know, from pure to peer via email addresses and you know other things and they've certainly got the customer service piece of it and the I would say the telecoms have the customer service piece as well but um, I I think the you know the the technology and the elements are there on each side where theoretically they could start to offer services that have been traditionally either banking or telco so it'll be interesting to see if that actually happens to kind of circle back to Tim's uh, was talking about multi-signature where you have to have basically two out of three people involved in a transaction for certain transactions. That's an opportunity, I think, for both the banks and the telcos because they have the retail footprint, they have the customer service, and to a large degree, they both have the trust. So the idea would be if, you know, if Jay, uh, the, the three party parties involved in, let's say, rebooting my account, my, my cryptocurrency account <clears throat> might be m- myself, Jay, Okay. 
my wife, and then a trusted institution like a bank or a telco, where if something happens to Jay, my wife could go down to the local bank and do the two out of three signatures to sort of restart my account. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, there was the example you gave last night was even simpler than that, which was around um, like imagine that you have three signatures yourself. And if you want to spend um, $10 in Bitcoins, then you sign it once. You want to spend over over $10, you sign it twice. You spend over $100, you sign it three times with three different keys. So you can Mm -hmm. like... Only only something that's been signed by all three keys is capable of spending over $100 or whatever. So I thought it was an interesting, like, you start to actually have kind of uh, the kind of control that you have with cash where you take, well, I'm only carrying $50. So, like, that's as much as I can lose or spend or, or have stolen or whatever. Um, whereas with, with like, Bitcoin and, and to an extent credit cards, that limit is, like, is way higher and, and much less flexible um, and less under one's control. So there's a bunch of really interesting stuff. Stuff in, in that space. I did want to ask Andy a question, totally unrelated to this, but whilst we've got him here, I did want to find out what he thought of the new Cisco um, uh, conference screen. Oh, that's a good question. I haven't played with it yet, but it's to me, it's like Cisco doing one more, one more, one more. Um, they've all, they've got two other products that sort of work. Um, however, Zoom already has a pen that you can work with any touch screen. It, it, it to me sounds like they're trying to find a reason that the Spark guys are trying to find a reason to exist within Cisco. <laughs> And are they a software company? Are they an API? Are they a messaging platform? Are they a hardware integration? Are they an ISV? Um, I like the concept of being able to write on a, on a, on, you know, go over to my monitor like there and write on it and everybody else sees it to me is, is, is appealing. But I think they're going after the large room and it's a telepresence argument all over again versus the small room, which is the huddle room. I mean, we talked earlier about people working from home and working in small offices and working on the go and working around the clock. And I don't see the large conference room environment existing or the large meeting room existing, except in the largest of companies anymore. And then on the on the flip side, I think you need to be able to do that on your laptop or on your tablet, not on a big screen in the middle of a room, because more people are sitting around with their iPads. I, I do more on my iPad every day. It's, I've even got to the point of where instead of waking up and finding my laptop, I wake up and find my iPad and go through everything there. And then, ah, these are the things I really need a full featured keyboard to work on. And then I book grab the laptop for that. And I find myself going back to the iPad. I find a much better communication device anyway. Um, I want to go back to the point earlier about financial telecom, which which, um, if we don't mind, I believe that that is something you will see banks and enterprises get into being more of their own telco. And I think you're going to see three areas that are going to rapidly become important to them. The very first one is security and encrypted communication. I think that they're they're going to want to have a secure encrypted end-to-end and inside their enterprise system, where when they're having conversations between team members, those calls are totally encrypted, have the ability to be call recorded and kept within the company. But if you 
aren't part of the company. If somebody got that recording, all they would hear is static and white noise. They, and talking about the blockchain stuff that Tim was talking about, no one would even know who the two calls were between. They would just know that two people in a company or three people in a company at a certain time were on a call. That that's going to become very important to enterprises as it becomes easier and easier to intercept and easier and easier to copy and get access to things. That's that's the first thing that I think enterprise telco, will, I'm going to call it enterprise telco versus financial telco. Um, second to the banking point, customers don't want to be unfamiliar to their bank. How many times have we all called up and we hear, can you please verify the following set of information? You know, mother's maiden name, date of birth, social security number, last couple of transactions. Take your pick what your bank does as a as a verification. Well, if I'm sitting at, a, at an airport lounge and I have a problem, you know, because I'm international, my bank questions a card, I don't want to have to give up all that information because I don't know who's sitting next to me. No, and what, they you don't, and they, is, what you want to do is put your finger on the fingerprint reader. Yeah, you want to do something like biometric or voice print analysis to authentify. There's a <clears> lot of solutions that the banks could be using. But as as, as my good friend Florian Sorosi said once in an interview we helped set up, um, we were crafting his reply and we said, Florian, say this. And it was for one more for his company senders. Relationships today, when you call an institution, are more like a first date, not like a long-standing relationship like you've been married. And that's a that's something which I really take you know, to heart. When somebody calls up and I see their number, it's, oh, hi, James, good to see you, good to talk to you. I don't make James Bodie verify that he's James Bodie by telling me what what pink drink he had at ClueCon in 2012. You know, it's 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 literally that that, that level. Imagine if we all you know, did we that. Should that, do that. We should so do that. The next time we next time we have a conference call, we should all have to do to verify that who we are before we start. That would right. be brilliant. <laughs> so so that, that that's the second thing. Verification um, is going to become very important and it's going to change. And enterprise telco would allow verification because I would know you're on your right phone with your SIM card that's been given, with the encryption key that you have, etc. The third thing, and the third thing is probably most important to all this enterprise telco, it is going to be redundancy, that you're going to have multiple methods of staying connected so that nobody is ever down. The first one is online. The mm-hmm. second one is um, going through, fall back from voice to text, fall back from text to the traditional network. But you'll always be, and then you'll know whether your call is going clear or unsecured the way it comes in to you. And and those three things within, within the app are within an app environment, both web and mobile, are going to happen within all facets of the enterprise. And if you take that down to the financial level, I just simply, if I have a question to my banker or my credit card company, I press talk in the app and all of that magical encryption and magical verification occurs. It might say, stick your fingerprint on there. It might say, uh, say your secret code. And as soon as you do that, you're done. And there's none of this, hi, are you really James <clears throat> Bodie or are you really Randy Resnick? Yep, absolutely. And another method, Andy, is this, a token container. So this is this is the fob to my car. The same, right. the same concept could be used to transmit your private keys within a, a very well-defined physical space or plug this into a computer. And I think this this is a very workable human uh, factor that can, can make this complicated cryptography human-friendly because that's really what we're talking about is, is uh, how do you take all these, you know, exotic mathematical concepts like Tim was playing around with, you know, elliptic curve cryptography and how do you have your grandmother use that, you know? And so, so I think, go ahead. I was going to say, I've been carrying a, a, a YubiKey 
uh, which is exactly yep. that. It's a it's a little key store in the form factor of a USB stick for mm-hmm. about a year now, and I use it to authenticate myself to Google and GitHub and a couple of other, and now Facebook. And it, it I like it. I like it a lot. It's pretty usable, but there are two places where it doesn't work. It doesn't work on new uh, Macs that have a USB-C on it because it doesn't plug into that and it doesn't yet and I, or it, maybe it does but I haven't worked out how it doesn't work on my Android phone so um, it's kind of it's sweet for my laptop it's a nice point and so I can protect my developer environment with it but for my kind of domestic stuff that happens on the on the phone i can't get there yet so it's like it's an interesting space and i i I think it is in a lot of ways it's the right way to go that kind of people are very comfortable with like having another key on their key fob that just happens to you know or actually i don't know if you saw it but mercedes just bought a bitcoin company so you know when you think about the automobile manufacturers they could get into payments and they could get into communications they've got many of the elements for both sides of that. The, the, so, their, their problem is their product cycle. Like if you think that it takes a while for a telco to bring out a new product, you wait and see how long it takes a car company to get from the design point to where they get it out. That that's they they four don't years. uh if you oh, well less if you're Tesla, but like yeah. you know. And the, that industry will get faster, but it, at the moment it's quite a while. Um, compared with well, like, you know, Amazon, for example. The the point is that, you know, these decentralized ledger technologies and the cryptocurrency, the peer-to-peer, pushing the responsibility out to the edge opens up a realm where many of the industries that prior to this were you know, sort of in their own very well-defined domains, all of a sudden there's opportunities for them to start to encroach upon each other's legacy domains. So I think it'll be interesting to see what happens in that arena. Yeah, but, I mean, that, that's the old, uh, that's um, Ben Evans's uh, software is eating the world uh, mm-hmm. uh, philosophy. And it's kind of like, this is crypto is eating, eating the world potentially. Yeah, the T-shirt at this Construct 2017 on the back, it had blockchain is eating the world. So we'll see. But uh, but there's another point that I think is really, really interesting in this new paradigm that's opening up, the peer-to-peer cryptographically secured paradigm, is that it offers an opportunity for enterprises, entities, institutions to push the responsibility out to the edge. So all of a sudden, they, you know, they can minimize, if not eliminate, being in the business of a centralized repository for treasured data. And that, I think, is is really, really compelling. So that, you know, with the daily hacks that we see, the targets and so forth, uh, and, and particularly in the healthcare, if you could imagine pushing that responsibility out to Jay um and and basically giving jay the keys to his data that's that's an interesting use case yeah no we we're i mean i'm i'm wholly in agreement on with you on that that's kind of the one of the philosophies behind pipe but the problem that i'm seeing is that it's not very welcome there are a lot of places where that attitude is not at all welcome yet um people still think very much in terms of centralizing data and that everything should be in the cloud because that's where everything should be um and we're only starting to see now pushback against that. Um, and, and it is still not, it's still a struggle to get kind of developers to even think that there might be somewhere else they can put their, cloud, their data other than AWS. 
Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens because the pressure is out there to go, you know, push the data out to the endpoints that's, you know, encrypted data that has a content addressable hashtag. I think that's going to get pretty strong. And, you know, there can be entities and, and mindsets that lag behind and try to drag their feet. <clears throat> but the pressures become pretty intense. I mean, who would have thought that, you know, the telcos would start embracing open source software? Who would have thought that Microsoft would would start embracing open source soft software? So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But there are a lot of sub subtle currents that are going on here that I think will start showing its its the impact in in some very very interesting ways so you guys have any comments about all that thoughts just I, I think we come back in a year and see what's changed yeah yeah will you have launched pipe in a year's time jim <laughs> <laughs> hey that was the bleeding edge of the ip communications and voip community we're at vuc.me on the web thanks to simwood.com who can turn you as a developer into a telco Our hosted PBX is provided by OnSIP.com. The site at VUC.me is on Bluehost.com. We use ZipDX.com for our wideband, full-featured conference bridge. And our local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. Every Friday, 12 noon Eastern Time, see you next week. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.